But uh, yeah, she got this adventure. It's like this like couples mystery adventure book. You scratch off these things. You don't know where they're going to be. And then you got to go do them. And so uh, the one we got yesterday was called was called like Fancy College Kids. So they told us to go buy ramen, but then also buy really nice ingredients to make it like really good ramen. And then watch Lady and the Tramp and reenact the, the noodle scene. So we, we, we did that last night, which was fun. Oh my gosh. I'm going to die of cuteness. I can't take this stuff. <sighs> it was, it was really? Cool. Yeah. It was you nice. know what? All this does is make tired middle-aged dads look really bad. <laughs> hey, that's all that the, stuff does. Get the adventure book. It's great. Okay. I yeah, will. you can do it with Paige. <laughs> yeah, Kyle got a taste of my life today. How many women I got boss of me around? <laughs> oh man, sorry. That sounded pretty pathetic. That sounded like victimhood. I, I repent. That's Let's right. <laughs> Rise up. Rise up, old man of God. Rise up. Here we go. All right. Amen. Well, let's let's jump right in. Welcome everybody to our uh, Generations of Faith podcast. We're in First uh, Corinthians five, which is a short chapter. But man, it doesn't is. mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's easy. Got some questions. Yeah, it is dense, uh, and it's one of those uh, almost strategic places, w- which is begging for a deep dive into all kinds of cultural background, what's going on here type of stuff. So we'll see what's, uh, what we're doing, you know, how, how it unfolds. So, but with the big picture, okay, uh, Paul is beginning to move into the details, can kind of deal with particular specific issues in the church. So the first four chapters, uh, <clears throat> He kind of introduces, of course, the main theme, which is unity, right? Chapter one is all about the divisions in the church that Paul recognizes is uh, not the way the Lord uh, would have it. In chapter two, Matthew's favorite word, pneumatikos, uh, spirit-filled ones, and specifically spirit-filled wisdom, that as we give our lives to the Lord, he fills, he fills our hearts with uh, with his spirit in order to make us wise, in order to bring us into an understanding, which is uh, very different than the world's pattern of things. Uh, Chapter three, Paul recognizes uh, kingdom community uh, as the the temple of God. As he says in Ephesians, the dwelling place of God uh, by his spirit, and he says those very challenging words, if anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. Man, that's how seriously he takes the divisions that are you know, present in the various house churches in, uh, in Corinth. And then chapter four was all about Paul's apostolic authority, right? Uh, Paul, uh, God's executive agent, carrying out specific directives as the Lord leads, uh, exercising faithful stewardship over the mysteries of God. Uh, and at the end of that chapter, he calls us to, to imitate him, to imitate him. And, and for me, that, that means we can recognize that as we grow in Christ, he calls us to be those executive agents and you know, faithful stewards of his mysteries as well. So, that brings us to chapter, 
that brings us to chapter five, which has one of the most interesting first verses in all of scripture. Somebody want to read verse one? I got it. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Yeah, that's Paul. Paul gets right at it. So you have this this sexual immorality, um, almost certainly uh, stepmother. If it was his mother, Paul would have identified that woman as uh, you know as the man's mother, not as his father's wife. So we got some pretty good, you know, that's a good educated guess there. That stepmother, uh, father, likely has. Uh, is not on the scene, um, but but we have this this wild statement that that Paul just shoots straight at. So what do you make of that? Well, my first my first question when I, when I read that was he says as not it's like this this sort of thing doesn't even exist among the Gentiles, um, and I know we talked kind of earlier about just like the culture of Corinth. And like what was happening at the time, but it seemed like there was just in the world like some pretty like sexually promiscuous things going on. So what made Paul say that about this? Like what what was was this one of those things that was like really bizarre? Was this a was this a thing that really wasn't seen outside of the church? Um, yeah, why, why did he call attention that like not even the Gentiles do this thing? Go ahead, go ahead, Matthew. No, go ahead. You go. My no. translation said pagans, not Gentiles, which I thought was interesting but i want to hear your answer first go well the the romans had a really high regard for marriage and so uh unlike a lot of the cultures you know in the middle east only one wife the illegal legal wife now there now there would be many concubines and that sort of a thing um so it wasn't like they were chaste in their in their marriage but 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 marriage was, was a high uh, was a high value for the Romans, um, mm. you know, and so so this touches upon you know just lust, and that's how I think most contemporaries read this, like the guy was lusting after his after his stepmother, uh, but there's something else going on there, and I'm not sure what it is, you know, dishonoring his father, something to do perhaps with with wealth in the family, um, you know, maybe, you know, who the woman's connected to, you know, I, I'm not sure, but there's, there's all kinds of boundary breaking going on here that you know, obviously Paul's not, uh, not happy with. There's a line later, it's verse six. It says, your boasting is not good. You do not know that a little leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So am I connecting these two thoughts rightly or wrongly my question because to me it almost seemed like they were they were proud maybe of this sort of libertine or accepting attitude like um th this sort of things okay in the church or am i connecting those two ideas incorrectly no no you're right no no that's exactly right in fact in verse two paul says at least in the esv translation and you are arrogant right right uh, you know, as if you like, you know, you as if you're proud of this fact, 
in your community. And that resonates a little with me, right? I mean, just with our cultural moment that we would, uh, what's that? Your virtue, you know, virtue signaling would be to be open and liberal and okay with uh, any number of sexual arrangements, uh, any you know number of forms of promiscuity. So I know that's to me where it loops back around is the, the boasting in that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think there's there's two things going on. There's the uh, kind of the sexual sexualized spirituality. Remember the temple of Aphrodite was in Corinth, so it wasn't just a sailor's town, you, you know, where the well, you know we got the you know red light district and all of that. But but you have this this temple to sexuality, Aphrodite there with temple prostitutes and all of that, and and we're really not sure you know, what went on there, but you can almost know that, that there was a, a broad acceptance to, of a sexual license uh, in the culture. So that's probably one piece. And second, there is very likely a misunderstanding of the nature of God's grace, right? When, you know, Paul asks the rhetorical question in Romans, right? Should we sin all the more that grace may abound? And, you know, Paul answers there, may it never be, yeah. right? So there's this, and, and, and I think that's a, something that's pretty common in our day. This, you know, we hear that uh, Jesus died for his sins so we can have a relationship with God and God is, you know, unmerited favor. You know, grace is God's unmerited favor, a free gift, unconditional love, all of that. And it's easy to, to receive that as a sense of license, right? Hey, we're free, man. We're, 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 we're saved. Anything goes, right? And failing to recognize that in the ancient world, grace was really bound up with, with responsibility. Um, that, you know, God, God has given uh, himself to us. And when he invites us into a relationship with him, it's never on our terms. It's, it's on, it's on his terms. You know, it's <clears throat> in that ancient world, you had the, uh, the big man, the patriarch, right. Who had all the, who had all the resources. Grace was a very common word. It wasn't a spiritual word at all. It wasn't a religious word at all. It just meant a, a gift or, 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 a, a, you know, a, a benefit that the rich man would give to a, a poor guy, right? Mm -hmm. So he would bestow his grace and, and for the poor man to receive that gift, to receive the big man's grace, the big man was inviting the poor man into a relationship where he would be bound to the rich man. And, and, and for the poor man, that, uh, that is a good day, man because uh, the rich man would continue to provide everything the poor man needs in order to fulfill, you know, uh, whatever the rich man uh, would have. Uh, that, that was very much kind of how the economy was, was structured you know, back, in that, back in that first century. So for God to extend his grace to us in Christ was to, be was to receive his resources, to receive all of him. And, and then that binds us in that covenant relationship where we're now obligated, 
you know, to live for him. Not now it's unconditional, meaning it's it's not conditioned by our status or anything like that. But it does come with every string attached, and and we've kind of slipped that notion. That that uh, that notion has really disappeared in in uh, in the Western Church in a lot of ways. And I think the Corinthians are. It looks like the Corinthians are kind of caught caught up in that. Hey, God's grace, you know, we can embrace the the culture around us, and we're in God's good graces. And Paul is saying, and you boast, and you're arrogant. Yeah, that reminds me a little of the book we read a couple of years ago that Matthew Bates, um, faith uh, was it saved by allegiance or faith by allegiance or faith as allegiance? Yeah, saved by, the right? saved by allegiance alone. Yeah, right. And so he, he takes that word faith, translated pistis, and, and you know, kind of talks about this, right? Like that we've cheapened the, the understanding or of, of, in that case, faith, but that it really becomes uh, a responsibility and a, and a way we live into, not just this, yeah, get out of jail free card, I guess. Right, right. One thing that I thought was, uh, <laughs> so I was imagining as this letter is being read out to this congregation, when Paul says this, everyone like turns their head to that guy. Like, everyone, like it's clearly a, a public thing that everyone knows. I mean, Paul is so, I don't know if like, again, I don't know if Paul tried to go to this guy first and talk to him privately. It seems like he's just like totally fine. And it seems appropriate to call this out publicly um, in a pretty, yeah, in a, in a pretty dramatic way. Um, again, I, I, I wouldn't suppose this was a surprise to anyone who this person was that Paul was talking about. Uh, and, and it made me start thinking about in my church experiences, um, like how, how is this, how is this model? I feel like a lot of people in my, I don't know, my opinion would like frown upon Paul for doing what he did here, which is like publicly call someone out, you know, like, it seems like in a lot of church cultures, like you don't do that. Like you don't, you don't. You don't make a big deal about people's sin. You don't make a big deal about people's problems, like in in the broader community. That just seems like a, a, a thing that's like, no, no, no. You keep, you know, go to them privately, talk to them privately. You know, we'll figure it out privately, or or the old, even just like a, an agree or disagree sort of thing. Um, you gossip about it in the church parking lot before you bring it to the person themselves. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sunday Sunday morning first. That's Matthew eighteen, right? No, before, just... yeah, before the sermon. Um, I, I just I don't know I just I just it just made me really wonder if if our churches are filled with a bunch of humans who are broken uh, I I haven't seen this done a lot well at least a leader or or even the congregation coming together and calling people's sin out um, in a public way because I know there is like like, like Matthew 18 uh, there is like there are there are a lot of also places in scripture that talk about going privately to people and trying to reconcile it first between them but here it seems Paul is just like, no, I'm, I'm, we're doing this publicly. And I was wondering why, like, why was that his his choice here to to not try to, I mean, again, I don't know if we know he didn't try to reach out to this guy privately, but I was just wondering if he chose not to, what was the difference here? Okay, all right. So your individualism is showing, okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So to read this rightly, Paul isn't calling out the man sleeping with his father's wife He's calling out the church for failure to discern the issue. Hmm. 
That's what he's doing. And you, right? That's what it means in verse two. And you are arrogant, right? Right? You, you are, and, and, um, is that a y'all again? Is that a y'all? Oh, y'all? it's all y'alls. Yeah. Yep. All y'all. All, all of that. Right. And so what he's doing is he is he's coaching the body life of the community. So he's not so much calling out the individual. Hmm. He's calling out the church for failing to uh, exercise, you know, their role as kingdom community, as the uh, the body of Christ. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that definitely changes it, and that that, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, there's another little nuance right after that because are and you are arrogant, but then ought you not rather to mourn? You know, that that's not a call to arms. It's not a call to anger. Although the next line is put the guy out, but it's 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 lamentable that this is you know. Uh, something that should cause sorrow, right? That's it. That's and and to Christians really point like that's certainly not a message you hear, like a call to mourning, a call to sorrow. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so and, and and so let's see how Paul is coaching the community here. Uh so I'm gonna read three through five there. I got it, Matthew, you drink it. Uh Sorry, for man. I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So a couple things here. Uh, look at verse three. I am present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment. What do you make of that? That he is present in spirit. When I when I read it, when I first read that through, I just kind of thought in the same going back to I think it was chapter two, where he asked, like, are you not being merely human or are you guys not just being humans? Uh, it's we have this connected reality as all being in the body of Christ that um, although we're not physically in, in the room with one another, we are still, we are still because of Jesus, all, all present or all there. We can, you know, he is, he is so invested in, in this place um, by the power of the Holy spirit uh, that yeah, he's still connected. That's good. You, you, you know, me, you have felt my influence, right? He says, he has, he says, I have, already pronounced judgment and it's easy you know for us to uh you know throw this guy behind bars or to send him to hell but i think there's something else going on here right paul is saying you know i'm discerning a spiritual reality that you guys need to recognize and you're not recognizing it right mm. i mean you're so confused again that pneumatikos right that that spirit-filled wisdom, you're, you're not recognizing this uh, reality. So uh, read verse four and five, and what does what are the folks to do? When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with 
the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? You are to deliver this man to Satan. So, okay, so this is where you, you know, this is a real opportunity to do, to do that deep dive. So what is Paul talking about there? You, you are to deliver him over to Satan. And don't think individualistically. Well, I guess I, I mean, my first thought is going back to, we talked about in Matthew 18, where the call is, if you go one-on-one, doesn't work. You bring a couple people, doesn't work. You bring the congregation, doesn't work. Then just cast them out and treat them as, as though they weren't a part of the community anymore. Um, and so in, in that, in that sense, I, I just, how I've always heard that is, it is there is a like protection and a safety of, of Christ's body. Like there is a, there is a, a goodness of being a part of the church. And there's so a, there's a force field. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. There's some pretty messed up stuff that goes on inside the church. Uh, but, <laughs> but that, that what the call is. Yeah. The, the, the call to, give someone over to those desires to show them. I, I think in the way the old Testament where God gives the, you know, Israel over to their desires and, and then destruction comes like there is a, uh, well, like you said, if, if you've got the rich man, you have all the strings attached, you, it's on their terms. So it's like, Hey, you, if you don't want to live life in my terms, go ahead to live the life your way. But, but you will, you will be destroyed. How? How? By doing stuff the way you want to do it. And what happens when you do stuff the way you want to do it? Chaos. 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 <laughs> That's where Satan is. What they're failing to recognize is that when we give ourselves to Christ and he brings us into kingdom community, he fills us with his spirit-filled wisdom. We learn to hear his voice and we're faithful stewards of the mystery of God what we're doing, the Lord begins to order us, right, under his care, right, under his wisdom, in his presence. And, and we'll go back to Genesis 1, where in creation, God is ordering chaos in order that life might thrive, okay? That's what the Lord has done. When Jesus died on the cross, remember, he closed the gap between heaven and earth so that God and man can again dwell together, just like in the garden, right? Just where, you know, when creation is ordered, okay? With the fall, when God cast the man and the woman out of the garden, he cast them out of that place of order where there's righteousness, peace, and joy, right? And he sends them into chaos into disorder and so what paul is saying de deliver this guy over to satan right send him out into that into the disordered world because he does not want to live in the ordered community of the king essentially give him what he wants so he comes to himself so I realizes there is no life in the chaos of a disordered world, which is the realm of Satan. See, and it seems so like even in that judgment, there's a mercy, right? 
like I'm gonna I'm gonna let you experience this so that you know the goodness of my yeah. presence and my order and my of my people. I know because I, I know a lot of people read that and go, gosh, that's harsh. I mean, kind of what Christian said at the beginning, like that wouldn't happen in my church. You know, we wouldn't cause but sin sin has its own gravity that leads to this place of disorder. But even in that, there's a mercy because that void creates a longing that only God, only God can fill. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's what the addict talks about in terms of I, I hit my rock bottom. You know, uh, uh, the chaos that my addiction has brought into my life is destroying me. I've got to walk away from that. Right, I've got to return. Right to to a life that is, you know, that is ordered. I've and heard that, this. Oh, so I've heard, I've heard the same idea about, I think in Genesis when, when you see like the Trinity speaking and they're like, man, we like they're gonna live forever. Like we have to, we have to like kick them out. And I've heard, I think the Bible Project mentioned how like the view of that is that the the love in that was, they are to live forever in an unright state is is not loving, right? It wasn't loving for God to allow man to just continue on doing. Um, whatever he wanted to do forever, like that wouldn't be loving. So yeah, kind of what Matthew was saying is just uh, we see it, we see it as harsh, but but discipline is good. Uh, and well, you you can't live in a disordered chaos forever. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yeah. Right. And that's mm. you know this isn't punishment; it's a consequence. Mm, right. right? Mm. You know you want to go your own way go ahead how's it working for you mm. let me know when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired i've heard it said that you don't you, god doesn't have to punish you for jumping off a cliff you're gonna break both your legs when you hit the ground anyway you know yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, that, yeah yeah that's a consequence and 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 we we have this this penal um notion right that that it's some kind of arbitrary punishment you know, God is a judge and he has this arbitrary punishment, you know, for sin called hell. No, 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 no. It's, it's the consequence of living out of God's ordered reality, you know, under him, right? I mean, there's really only two options here. You, uh, you live in God's ordered creation or you re live in Satan's hell, okay? And, and the church, its failure in Corinth right, is, is it has, it failed to discern the order that God is intending in Corinth and has done what? It has brought in the dominant culture of Corinth to, to be a primary influencer of the nature of the culture, right? And you're boasting about this. You're boasting about this disordering this ordering element that looks like the culture that you live exist in but but are not to be a part of Sp speaking about two things also in that verse so the one of the idea of of he said hey i've judged this man or in your or you said you know also the word discern like i've discerned that this is what we should do uh later on he talks about you know like, hey i'm not like don't judge people in the world like, I, like you judge people in the church and that's that was interesting for me because growing up in the church i think on a very shallow notion 
you always hear like, don't judge anyone. Like that's not your place. It's God's place to judge people. Um, but here, Paul seemingly is even from a distance judging and discerning, hey, like this, this is not right, right? Clearly, I'm going to call this out. And this is what you guys, I'm going to tell you guys to do. As well as later on in five where he, he says, hey, yeah, don't like, yeah, don't judge people outside the world. Like, but, but it's the people in the church that you should be the ones who like that you discern and judge their actions. And um, that, that brought me back to four where he's saying, imitate me and, and mimic me, right? Uh, we want to, if you, if you want to have that call, like, I think the hope is that you should be open to judgment from others because you want to be um, always called out upon the things that you're not, that you're not living in Christ. But the second thing that I thought was uh, that I just saw in this. So Paul is coming from the outside, right? He, he is, he's planted this church. He's gone on to other churches and then he hears about what's happening. So then he kind of writes back. Um, so it, it is an outside force kind of speaking into this, this community. And what that, what that really showed me was the importance of having connections, even within our churches to other churches, to other people outside of our, our situation, because of how quickly that we can just start breathing our own air and, 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 mm. uh, yeah, just, just thinking we're right and thinking we're good. And, and that's what I think is so heartbreaking about, um, in my personal experience and opinion of just like the the brokenness of so many churches in America where everyone's just their own isolated community and you can just you can you can start talking yourself into a whole bunch of crazy places if if you're not allowing outside forces to speak into your lives as well as the call for like as a church you should be wanting to be invested in other people's communities and other churches because to speak into their theirs as well because we uh, I don't know in my life, all the storms that I've been in and all the times I've been blind, it has always taken people from outside of my situation to speak in so clearly, and I wasn't able to see it. Um, and so that really jumped out to me just in just in this chapter. It's like, oh man, Paul is, Paul, again, Paul not being part of the community is still invested in this community, taking the time to write to this community, and it's what this community needed because they were all breathing their own air. Great. Well great. said. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so local communities will, will organize around, you know, precious values, you know, and, and something that is bigger than any individual, you know, this you know, kind of a synergistic reality, the culture, you know, will spin, it will spin up that, that has its own existence, although it's fueled by everybody in the community. And thoughtful guy walks into that community the first time and he'll start seeing stuff. Yeah. So, so, so my brother was pastoring in, uh, in Mountain View in the Silicon Valley, right? And he was looking at the church bylaws. And in the church bylaws, there, there was a rule that said, uh, there shall not be, uh, alcohol shall not be drunk at vestry meetings. You know, at the church meetings, you know, at, at the official meeting. And Kevin said, Kevin thought, that's a bizarre thing to have in a bylaws. Drinking shall not be allowed in vestry meetings. Huh. And so he didn't, he didn't think anything of it. Uh, and he was later, he, he, he had befriended, you know, this is within his first year as the you know, pastor of this church. He's talking to one of the homeless guys. And, um, and, and the homeless guy spoke about his predecessor as being a, a functioning alcoholic. And Kevin said, what? He says, 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is the church for high functioning alcoholics. And the light bulb clicked on. And Kevin realized that all the interpersonal dynamics of the congregation look like uh, the family of an alcoholic. He said, oh, he said, every one of them were identified. And, and as soon as he got that, that key insight, he, he knew how he had to begin to pastor that congregation to, uh, you know, to, to get them out of this entanglement with you know, a worldly way of being in order to walk more fully in, in the kingdom, right? Uh, and that's, that happens with all of us. And that, that's why discernment you know, is critical. Uh, what, when we give our lives to Jesus, we enter into the kingdom, right? Into this new end times reality where God is present with us. You know, the temple, right? The dwelling place of God by his spirit where we hear his voice and we allow him to begin to organize, you know, how we are to, you know, to be together. Uh, and what's always going to be creep, creeping in is the pattern of the world. Right. Mm. And it's important for the wise ones to be, to, to, to be paying attention and to recognize, you know, when we start, stop hearing the voice of the Lord and start picking up our cues from the world, right? So, you know, so let's think about the church in America in the last year, um, especially with this uh, podcast that Matthew invited us to listen to with Preston Sprinkle and John Tyson, right? Uh, is, is there Has there been any ways in which the church has been more attuned to the patterns of the world than the voice of the Lord, you think, in the last, say, last year i don't think so I think yeah no I don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't yeah nope <laughs> um <laughs> no there are a few there are a few i'll just say this i think uh <laughs> a church wedded to an idea of power has really lost its way and uh i've been having a really good back and forth uh, conversation with a friend who's not a Christian. Um, and, but their view of Christianity is I say Christian, they hear Trump voter. So I'm, I'll just, I'm going there. I'm saying that. Right. Um, and I, you know, and I think it'd be a, actually a similar dynamic just for all those I just offended. Uh, if, if I said Christian and they heard Biden voter, because in both cases, it's an agenda that seeks power, right? It's an agenda that seeks power. And as I'm having this conversation, my simple response is, you know, I, I think cultural Christianity is probably dying. And I think it should. Because I think the church is at a moment where we've really got to get back to idea of service and sacrifice until the church looks like Jesus looks. And we divorce ourselves from this idea of seeking power and influence and control. Uh, we're in trouble. And that, I mean, that can come in any number of ways. Politics is certainly easy to see at this moment, but I think anytime that the church gets invested, you know, I think psychology is another one where we, we start to sound a lot more like therapists than we sound like just people that have been saved by grace. Um, 
the bit, you know, capitalism is a, is an easy draw for churches. You know, we're going to build, we're going to multiply, we're going to grow, we're going to put, you know, and all of a sudden we're operating more like a Chick-fil-A than a church. And yeah. I know some people don't see a difference between the two, but you know, yeah, that's right. And see, and if, I mean, an interesting little game to play, if Paul were writing to us, right, you know, to the, you know, saints in America, we could say, just, just keep it broadly, or we could say it to Hatchby if you wanted to dial it in. in chapter I don't want to exclude Christian. He's out there in Burbank. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh it's actually reported among you that a man is sleeping with his father's wife. See, he, he wouldn't go there, even if somebody was. I think he'd say it's actually reported that uh, some of you have given yourselves to power politics. You're failing to discern that you're allowing worldly patterns, which is what? Foolishness to God, right? The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God to shape how you are in the world and you even boast of it <laughs> ouch you even boast of it yeah. right now when i've come right when, and when i'm with you in spirit and the power of jesus right send that person into the domain the uh, the, the dominion of satan where there's chaos. And what does that chaos look like in a world shaped by power politics? Division. Mm. Profound, passionate division, which is chaos. And this is, this is what Paul's getting at. We are to live in a different kind of reality. I'm going to use a big $12 word, right? And that's a new eschatological reality new end times reality where we're where, where the presence of God by his spirit now is at the center of our community and we are to dial in we are to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God the Bible the pattern of the cross right embodied faithfulness so that we are actually different in the world and we need to be discerning so we can recognize when the, when the community begins to pick up cues from the world so, so that we become uh, you know, less able to hear the directions from the Lord. I think this, this reminds me again of just the, like, the importance of humility in all of this, you know, how, how, how does a church receive that correction or, or be willing to admit that they might be looking more like the world? Um, it just seems so, I just feel like it's just so common that when people have a, you know, when you try to bring up a, an issue or in my experience, people bring up issues to me, how, how quickly I want to find biblical reasons why I'm right or, or defend my position instead of humbly listening to what someone else has to say and, and their, their opinion and then in america specifically i remember my favorite stories a mentor and a close friend of mine his father years ago uh was was uh doing a conference at this hotel and kind of down down the bar ran to another guy who was there they started chatting and the man mentioned that he was um he was a missionary uh, from i think from kenya or or somewhere somewhere like that and 
um, uh, his father asked, uh, well, where are you mission missionary to? And he said, uh, the United States of America to here. And, uh, you know, his, his father kind of looked at him like, what do you mean? Like, he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, my church uh, raised money and sent me here to the States so that I could, uh, I guess we just saw that the, the churches here are really struggling and kind of not, not following Jesus. And so we wanted to, you know, we, I'm, I'm here to preach the gospel to the churches of America. And that was like such a hit you know, for him, because we always felt, you know, just the, the idea like, oh, we're the American church. We send people out. Like, we're the ones who send people to other places. Like, we don't need help. Uh, and so to have another country send missionaries here, just because they're seeing like, hey, the churches here are, are missing something. Uh, I I got giddy. I thought that was great. I love that. But, That's an outside perspective, looking in and saying, these yeah. guys look like they're picking up, they, they look <laughs> a lot more like Americans than Christians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. They're, just be, they're just being humans. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'll I'll add my amen to what Christian said. It begins with humility, but then you quickly started to talk about, you know, kind of our overarching question of First Corinthians is what is church? And, and for me, this is why, as we answer this question, you know, we're, what are the mysteries that we're we're formed by time in the Word, we're formed by prayer, we're formed by these embodied practices. And those things, those are the answers also to what is church. It's, it's the gathering of the community. It's, it's the opening of the word. It's, um, it's these habits of, of mind that become habits of body that we're, that we're living into that really should. And especially, you know, you hear all the anger right now that the, the culture is drifting away from God. If that's true, then, then, then I think our just behavior ought to look a bit more strange all the time. I I came to this realization pretty early on as a parent, you know, and I just remember saying to Heather one day, like, if we're going to do this well, our kids are going to be kind of weird. You know, it forces you to wrestle with all your own insecurities because, I, you know, I want to be cool. So then I want my kids to be a reflection of me. So they're cool. And, and it's not that I want my kids to be nervous, but you know, I want them to be formed by something different than the patterns of the world. Yeah. And I said that before we had iPhones and Facebook and influencers. Yeah. No, that's, that's got my, you know. is it getting really, really intense. You know, it, it really is. So but I guess my, the church is the answer to that is, is a big part of the, I mean, it is the answer to that question, right? How do you, how do you do this? How do you live differently? By this new eschatological reality as, as the church and that's so much more than just a, an hour on sunday okay so let's let's, let's go to six through six through eight because paul's going to anchor all this in the exodus event okay uh so seven read six through eight your boasting is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All right. Mm. But as if Paul is say, saying, as, as the Lord delivered the, the Hebrews out of Egypt across the Red Sea to become, you know, this, this kingdom of priests and, and a holy nation, right? So celebrate that deliverance. 
you know, a little bit of the world's influence in the community, you know, that's what he's talking about by leaven, is going to spread out, spread through the whole community. Why? Because we live in that culture. It's, it's easy to be, um, to be lured by the dominant culture. And Paul, and, you know, Paul contrasts that leaven in verse eight with as malice and evil. And we got to hear that malice and evil. That that's, feels like pretty heavy words. Yeah, it's chaos. It's, it's darkness. Well, yeah, we're Americans. We, I mean, we're supposed to vote. Yeah, vote your conscience. But recognize there is a powerful lure there to be, you know, uh, to be shaped by power politics, right? And Paul, he calls that malice and evil. And he's, he's not picking a side, a Republican or Democrat. As you said, Matt, it's, it's pulling the lever of worldly power, worldly wisdom, thinking like we're doing God a favor. God's saying no. In contrast, the unleavened bread, you know, because they didn't have time to, to make leavened bread in the Passover because they're going across the, the sea. That's what it's a symbol of because they were fleeing Egypt of sincerity and truth. And that's all about discernment. Yeah. Recognize the kingdom that he has called us to and, you know, develop the spiritual acuity to recognize the world he's delivered us out of. And that means thinking. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's that spiritual wisdom that, uh, that he fills us with that we talked about in chapter two. It's, it's foolishness to the world. But, but it's critical for us. And as a community, we need to exercise that discernment so we can recognize it, right? Because it, it, it'll, it'll invite it'll, it'll invite the demonic chaos into the community. So th there's a tension in me that when we hear this, like, you know, I feel like I have a responsibility to steward my vote, right? To And, and that calls me to engage the world. And then I also feel like, but I've got I've to detach from the world because Jesus is king. And so I'm not, you know, putting my heart into national politics. I, I recognize that um, I'm living in Babylon. You know, I'm an exile here. And, and, and whoever rules on the throne is not my king. My, you know, my king's coming from another country someday to rule. Um, th but this is what it calls me back to. I just keep thinking of the pattern that you see throughout Jesus's life, where you see that practice of detachment. He withdraws. He's alone with the father. And then he comes back and he re-engages the world. And then he withdraws and he's alone with the father. And then he comes back and engages the world. And, you know, probably depending on your, where you fall on the introvert, extrovert scale, one of those is easier than the other for you to achieve. But, you know, if we're being formed to the pattern of, of, of Christ, to me, that seems important. And, and for me, it's, it's practical. It gives me something to go, have I spent time alone with the Father? Have I spent all my time alone with the Father? Have I confused the Father with podcasts, you know, that I've been listening to? You know, I, I, I think 
there's a lot to work through there. But it begins to put it on the ground for me, I guess, just by looking at Jesus. And not to diminish time alone with the Father. I mean, Jesus certainly, certainly did that. But also investing time in the in, in, the, in kingdom community. Yeah, right? with it. Right, and 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 so that's where you know verses nine through uh, thirteen are are getting into. Um, especially look at um, well verse eleven. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who names the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. Then he says, or greed. Um, or as an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, he's not saying don't build friendships with those in the world. He's talking about table fellowship. He, he's talking about that, that intimate circle of you know of, of of breaking bread together you know this is all acts chapter two you know they they broke bread together daily in, in their homes it's, it's that core community that informs our understanding of what it means to be a jesus follower what what you know what it means to be uh faithful to the king and 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 so you have both those things going on i mean i'm for uh, for the introvert especially Man, spend much time with the Father. For the extrovert, man, spend much time with the faithful community. As long as you're discerning, when someone starts bringing in worldly cues, and you need to speak that with sincerity and truth. You don't need to bring a, you know, a, a the gospel sheriff's star you know, you could say, boy, I don't think so. That, that, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, I've got to check in my spirit about that. You know, and you, and you can process that and, and you can, you know, manage the garden of, of the, of that intimate community of kingdom community so that we're, you know, moving more deeply into um, that eschatological reality, you know, into that end times reality, living more and more sensitively to the reality of the spirit among us, right? less and less cued into whatever dominant culture we, we happen to be in from that. And you know, I guess for as Americans, you know, measuring success, right? Mm -hmm. How does the American church measure success? You know, not through being uh, a faithful steward of the mysteries of God, but by numbers of people and bigger the budget and you know, you know, you, the quality of your celebrity. We we passed over verse ten, uh, but I just wanted to kind of I wanted to make sure that I was reading it right because I thought it was really cool the way I I was hoping I was thinking Paul was saying. So I guess nine. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. Um, and then that's when he goes into talking about just specifically the, the brothers. Uh, and 
I just thought, well, because what, what I heard Paul say, right, was, yeah, again, the, like, don't, like, don't, don't not associate, don't think that when I say don't associate with these people, I'm saying the world, um, because our call is to be in the world. And I just think it's, yeah. a, it's just such a great reminder of how, just, like, how often so many people of the church don't want to associate with the world um, in, the, in the sense of, of, they don't want to be friends with people that aren't in their church groups. So they don't, they don't want to have these, these like deep relationships with uh, someone that, well, as Paul would say, are sexually immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Like these are pretty heavy words. Um, and a lot of times I, I feel like as yeah, just like Christians avoid those people like the plague when in fact they are the people that we should be associating with as in, as in like being a part of and, and um, dining and reclining at their homes and, uh, yeah, and loving it. And it, it's tied to that verse at the end where it says, uh, God judges those outside. I mean, there's just great freedom in that. Like, and you, you who are spending time in the world with people that are of the world, you don't have to judge them. You're, you're off that hook. Yeah, just and go I mean, be with them. How great is that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. cool. Now I can just hang out. Yeah. And, and plus, that... the pagans always have better coffee and beer. Everybody knows that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and recognizing that you're, you know, moving in the dominion of Satan, right? You're moving into in, into chaos, but the Lord calls us to go where angels fear fear to tread, you know, with 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 the good news, good good news of the kingdom, uh, you know, and and we recognize that those will always be secondary relationships, because our primary relationships are with God's people. Because I mean, I mean, for the sake of our own souls, but boy, we can we can certainly, and 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 not patronize, you know, folks who are in or who who are in the world, boy, but just you know, just just recognize the the lostness, you know, the chaos of their lives. You can see the priority here that Paul has, like, and that's why you got to get this house in order, right? Yeah. So that it appears different and separate from and inviting and appealing to those outside like look that's ordered that's generous that's kind that's marked by all the fruits of the spirit those are all the things i lack i want in there you know i mean yeah it's 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 the it's the heartbreaking reality that in the conversations we have with people who are like hey like you should have you considered jesus and they think when they think of the church like i don't want to be a part of that thing like that's that seems as broken and dysfunctional as my house and my family uh and the mm. the that just that heavy call to live a different to live a different way and and to live in these patterns of spirit wisdom and um but yeah it's not again it's it goes so much beyond just what we know to be true and it's how we live and how we act that that will show the world that it's truly a better place that they would want to be a part of and uh yeah not just more of the same or a different version of of what they have and it's not like we have to work real hard to create that. No, that is what the Lord, you know, the fruit of the spirit, right? That, that's what the Lord develops when we give ourselves to that new eschatological reality. Gap is closed. Spirit of God is within us. I'm, I'm picking up cues from him. He's untangling my own personal chaos. He's untangling the chaos of my family. You know, there's there's you know, there's grace and acceptance and forgiveness in my community. Uh, I 
boy, I can relax, I can learn, I can grow. And yeah. there's a great line from, do you remember that TV series, Friday Night Lights, and the coach, football coach, right? Football story. And a kid's not working hard at practice. And the argument is like, I'm saving it for the game. I, you know, I always show up at the game. And uh, the coach says, winning is a byproduct of the practice. Yeah. You know, the it, and, and it just, that's such an important shift, right? That being present with the Lord, being present with his people, being, or the fruit of the spirit is byproduct. Mm -hmm. So we never just show up for that. It just it just happens naturally. Like you said it's not it's not hard work, right? It's it's what happens after you spend that time. And that's good news. Yeah, seems like good news. Abiding in. I have more good news. <laughs> I have more good news in a minute. I want to go back to a previous point. If you find yourself skewed heavily introvert or extrovert, the Lord has this very compelling mechanism of sanctification called marriage, and He will pair you with your polar opposite. Take you out of your reading corner. No. All right. Sorry. I won't rant. I believe that could happen. Yeah. That's beautiful. God, God loves us so much. Yeah. So, so, you, know, you know, so that's chapter five. Um, oh, just, I mean, just one little fun detail. Look at verse, uh, verse nine. Paul wrote, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. What letter? This is First Corinthians. Is there a prior Corinthian letter? Yeah, evidently. Do we have it? No. no. <laughs> but in that prior letter, Paul seemed to be concerned about sexual immorality. Why? Because he understands Corinth. <laughs> he understands the dominant culture. He, he's addressing the very real issue of a man sleeping with his father's wife. He's not primarily concerned with the sin of the man. His primary concern is with the sin of the church that fails to discern that they have allowed the culture to shape how they are in the world more than the spirit of God. Man, that's so good. Because I definitely divided kingdom individualistically. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And so as we as we engage this, gosh, I don't know anybody who's sleeping with his mother or his stepmother. That's not an issue for me. Well, that's not the issue. Mm. You know, the the challenge, you know, the the challenge for us in the 21st century, wow. In what ways has American culture shaped how we are in the world? Right? And we start thinking about that, and it's, ooh, my Lord, thank you that you're gracious. Now, now help us. Help us be faithful to who you've called us to be as we pick up your cues. Mm. Good. Yeah. All right, guys. Very good. That's that's First Corinthians chapter 5. What is the church? I think the church is discerning. I think that's going to be the sermon title. The church is discerning, you know, having to, you know, the Lord has to uh, develop our ability to, you know, recognize, you know, when are we shaped by the world? You know, 
when, when we need to be shaped by the spirit. Amen. All right, Matt, prayer us out. Yep. Lord, I thank you uh, for these brothers. I thank you for those that are listening and reading um, and leaning in along with us. I thank you for First Corinthians chapter five. Um, it's challenged to us. What a high calling you have given us to live in a way not according to the kingdom of this world, but um, towards your kingdom come, the, just your reality uh, here on earth with us as it is in heaven. Um, and Lord, it, it causes us to reconsider um, every habit, every inclination, um, just to continue to focus our, our, our time, talent, energy, attention, uh, our allegiance to you, um, the one true king. Um, and Lord, as we contemplate this high calling, it can seem very overwhelming. Um, and it's there that we encounter just your deep grace and mercy poured over our lives that covers um, what is certainly going to be our stumbling and our failure. Um, so Lord, I thank you for your, your faithfulness to us. And I pray for our faithfulness to you. And uh, just simple prayer, Lord, just don't pass us by. Um, let us learn to walk ever more closely after you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Very good. All right, brothers. Love good. You. Love right. you. And guys, thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast. And I hope it stirs up some faithful conversation with whoever you all gather with. All right, guys. All right. See, you See you next time. See you Sunday, if not sooner. <laughs>